3: Hey, the Hello everybody, it's your red guy, Bruiser, Holden McNeely, and I hate blue! Ah! <laughs> it's about colors. It's always about the colors, Jake.
4: And it's me, your... Uh, Kind of awkwardly voiced anime girl who's uh, in a really weird 3D art style And um, it's kind of, I'm kind of poorly written at first But oh shit, it's the greatest fight scene you've ever fucking seen in your entire goddamn
3: life Bruiser Jake And today we are covering the, what turned out to be Mount Everest When it comes (laughs) to topics This is like giving me like Shin Megami Sensei Uh, tensei vibes but yes we are covering rooster teeth and this is actually a um a donated one uh, one of the early ones too and thank you for your patience nathaniel Or Nate, I guess I could call you as well. Uh, Thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. The Game Case Twitch stream is what he wanted to uh, give a shout out on. He's a Twitch variety streamer and is one of the nicest, funniest people I've met. He might not have the biggest viewership, but he does have the best core group of viewers you could have. He can be found on any social media and Twitch at The Game Case, all one word. The Game Case. Check him out on Twitch. And thank you again, Nathaniel. I hope that person still has a Twitch stream. (laughs) You donated for this a long time ago. And we finally, you know, they've been making some headlines lately. Probably not for the reasons Nate would like them to be making headlines. But (laughs) nonetheless, it, 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 it piqued our interest enough to jump on board. And Jake, I have interesting news for you. I wouldn't have a career without Rooster Teeth right? as it is right now. I wouldn't be streaming, even the podcasting thing. They were they were the people who paved the way, and now I even find Last Podcast Network in a similar situation. We are at that, I feel like, about to hit that crossroads that they got to when things really turned into a media company, as, of course, I know LPN is getting into the Twitch stream game themselves, and I just find it really fascinating reading this story because I was like, oh... They like made all of my bullshit possible from mm-hmm. st- just straight up g- being able to legally stream video games. That's huge. Which probably Twitch wouldn't even be a thing without that. Um, mm-hmm. in the, in the first place, much less just the whole uh, way that you can essentially just become a DIY massive media company. Oh, and by the way, full disclosure: Rooster Teeth's ad leg was uh, last podcast networks uh, ad agency for uh quite some time before we made the jump to spotify so i should also reveal that even though it's not really have much connection to a lot of the stuff we're talking about but that's how big they got
4: in my house as we speak is an underpowered lenovo gaming pc that was paid for on filthy filthy roost Lucre.
3: <laughs> fantastic and yeah this is just a crazy ass story and i feel like too The other crazy, Jake, the other crazy thing about this story is I feel like I got to New York and I was like, I, and I, I sorry if you heard this one before, Jake, because I know you've heard it especially, got to New York and I'm just like, this is how you do it. You get together with a group of people who are really funny and you put on an amazing live show and then the industry shows up and then they say, you should have a show on TV and then you go, yes, we should. And then you make a (laughs) show on TV. And that kind of was true before, obviously not that easy. But the second we got to New York, the landscape changed. And all of a sudden it was like, how many hits do you have on your YouTube? How Do you have a viral video? That this is what will get you meetings. And we were like, wait, what? We just thought we had to do the cool live show, which we were doing at the time. But we had no content like this.
4: For those of you in the audience that have been like, oh, Holden, you've told this story a million times before. Uh, let's just, I'm just letting you know, Every single comedian over the age of thirty three is also just thinking about this shit constantly. It, it, <laughs> so <laughs>
3: it was like the rug was pulled out from under me, and and all the while these guys were on the cusp. And so it was so much fun to go back and and see oh who who who, who did it right and what did they do back when I was floundering like a fish out of water in New York City, just like considering heroin. You know what I
4: mean? I will just say. So this episode really uh doing the research got me insanely like I felt time dilation I felt like I was on a ayahuasca trip because the story of Rooster Teeth is pretty much the story of internet content in its entirety as I know it uh as a millennial man uh every because the story goes literally from just text on a website to video clips on a website to like email chains to all of these, like, basic, like, early viral hits, where, by the way, like, when they talk about, like, their early viral hits, we're talking, like, 50,000 views, like, crazy. Meanwhile, like, even a low-mid-tier YouTuber can expect, like... We just did Blackpink and
3: talked about how they had a billion hits, you know, a billion views, rather. I know I keep saying hits. A billion views minimum on each of their videos, like...
4: And yeah. the transition from uh, you know making it happen on your website, and then the death of the website, which kind of ha- has happened over the past uh, fifteen years, to making it on YouTube, to YouTube, the apocalypse happening, to uh, now it's now we're in the era of streaming services and all these massive corporate entities, all these old school media uh, titans are just shuffling the chairs on the Titanic as they try and make way for this now over the top digital service. And in the mix, like, you know, so many companies have, like, just bitten the dust. Funny or die. Um, you know, uh, College Humor I know still exists, but, like, it has fallen a little bit, obviously, uh, in the past year. Well, of course, you don't work there anymore. I mean, it, yeah, must, yeah.
3: it must be in ruins at this point after you. It's the second you walked out the door.
4: Uh, it has to be. Cracked, like, uh, just even the vid- very video game websites that made Red vs. Blue a hit... Uh, you know game trailers screw attack all these like major websites have all fallen by the wayside and how this one weird ass company based on a very weird ass series has managed to survive and thrive is fascinating yeah um it's basically like it's still think of how if you are I know there are fans of these series still watching the series but like the Angry Video Game Nerd, The Nostalgia Critic, and Red versus Blue are still making episodes. They're like the Simpsons of the internet. Like they have like continued on and still have fans long after you've like stopped watching. In fact, like they've been continuing on if you like fell off from, you know, watching them at their early peak, they've been on the air longer than you enjoyed them by a factor of like 3 or 4 or 5.
3: Yeah, they were doing things, quote, quote, unquote, that were viral before YouTube existed, just to give you, like, an idea. I mean, it's just incredible how they managed to immediately t- t- jump in on this th- whole thing. It was like they were two years ahead of everybody else at all times, or or at least just always, as soon as the next thing opened up, they were on it. Oh, podcasts were on it, like, immediately.
4: Oh, podcasts, uh, Let's Plays, yeah. uh, web series, machinima, like... And now uh, stuff like sponsorship uh,
3: program, like a, su- a subscription program,
4: even. sponsored content, subscription programs, streaming services. They have adapted and changed with the times to a very intense degree. And we'll get into how that affected the company at large. Um, uh, uh, shit, shit. We aren't wacky enough. Holden, uh here's uh, my new you- character. It's a new character time. Uh, hey, it's me, the diabetic squirrel.
3: Uh oh, diabetic squirrel! I just—I think I hear a knock on my the door. My pee
4: tastes funny. <laughs> Give me an acorn, you shithead! I hear a
3: knock on the door. Oh, it's Mungo Jerry from the hit Broadway musical <laughs> Cats. Hey there, squirrel!
4: Can I get some of your nuts? <laughs> get it? Okay, but I gotta hold on to my glucose tablets.
3: Hey, what's
4: your sign? Sagittarius. Well, see you later. <laughs> Fuck. There we go. That's that classic <laughs> random humor that you've come to expect from Wizard and the Bruiser. Now we can deeply navel gaze about our experiences with Internet culture.
3: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and now let us say the synopsis of what this whole thing is. Rooster Teeth Productions, LLC, is an American video production company headquartered in Austin, Texas, founded back in 2003 by Bernie Burns, Matt Hollem. Jeff Ramsey, Jason Saldana, Gus Sorolla, and Joel Heyman. It all started with the production of Red vs. Blue, a web series based on the game Halo, which premiered back in April of 2003 and is still in production, which makes it the longest-running episodic web series of all time. From that, they branched out into live-action shorts and series, let's-play videos and animation productions, and later reality shows, video game development, and entertainment news shows and podcasts. They also host an annual convention called RTX, uh, the Rooster Teeth Expo, located all around the world. And this whole story really starts with one dude named Bernie
4: Burns. So let's now, get obviously, you know, society, history isn't that simple. There is, there, you know, all great things never can be traced back to one guy. Arts and uh, culture and business Exce- is much in more. in this ca- case. But for our s- sakes and purposes, yes, Bernie <laughs> Burns is the guy. And just let us tell this story.
3: So here we go. Born in Rochester, New York, he grew up in Houston, Texas. His father was a physics professor who worked on the uh, Desertron Super Collider. The Desertron Super Collider is melting. The Desertron Super Collider will eat your brain.
4: His first Considering name. Considering how I just put this together, but like, of course, the guy who is the head writer of Red vs. Blue. Uh, the major, like once they introduce an intense storyline, the core figure is an aloof scientist father figure. Of course, of course that's where it ends up.
3: And of course, also Bernie Burns is not his actual name. His name is Michael, but uh, in high school there were too many Michaels. So they nicknamed him Bernie off of his last name, which just goes to show, quit giving your kids bullshit ass names. Give them weird names.
4: It's true. Uh, Growing up in... At, in fourth grade, in my class, of, like, only 60 kids, there were six Daniels. <laughs> 10% of all children were Daniel.
3: Terrifying. He decided to pursue physics himself, just like his dad, and later medicine, but ended up at the University of Texas at Austin, getting his bachelor's in computer science. So, in other words, he's smart. While there, he smarty. gained an interest in uh, slash experience in video production by volunteering at k 29 HWD the student TV station, where he started the network's longest show called Sneak Peek, which centered around entertainment news and even scored him an interview with Adam Sandler when Happy Gilmore was just coming out. And I think it's important to say this because, like, even back in college, he created, like, long-running media programs that still exist today, which I think is crazy. So, like, sneak peek's still a thing. So he just has, like, this Midas touch when it comes to turning properties into, like, something that just lasts for years and years and years somehow. It's also at this time that he meets Matt Hullam, the son of a librarian and sports journalist that went to UT Austin to study film and also worked at tstv tstv was just this playground for hollum and burns who got to experiment with all different sorts of content and that's what led them also to make together the schedule so this is the whole thing bernie wants to be a film guy where that's that's where we're at and and Hollem is going to help him make it happen along with Hollem's roommate a guy named joel Heyman. Uh, who is a drama production student at UT Austin that Hullam introduced to Bernie who wanted to make a student film. So together
4: they make this movie called The Schedule. I could not find any clips of this online, but like this group of guys truly believed in this project. They poured their heart and soul into it. They filmed it on 16 millimeter and uh, just one of those classic like amateur student film productions that it's like filmed on and off over the course of like over a year goes through reshoots. Friendships are made. Relationships are made. Relationships fall apart. But like even though Burns is, you know, he finishes his computer science degree, his true passion is this film, The Schedule.
3: And that is where we have from the very beginning also a concoction of computer people and film people mixing it up and making interesting things together. And that's what we get from the very beginning. Also, we get this Concept of fuck it, I'll just make it up as I go along, I'll do it myself. Bernie even said out loud, I didn't want to go, I want to learn how to make movies, but I don't want to attend a bunch of classes. And so he just hit up people who wanted to work on this thing with him and get it it done and make it without any formal training, which is a a through line for Rooster Teeth in many ways. So, Burns parts ways with the other two after they have a a hell of a time. As we all know, you make something, you spend... You put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. This is so the standard for young people when it comes to their first big project, the first couple of big projects. Put a ton of work into it, and years go into it. Maybe maybe one year, two years, who knows? And then it's time, it's like, okay, now I'm ready to like release this baby I've been... I've been procuring up, up, out into the world. And um, and
4: on. this is the go-go 90s. We got Sundance. We got Slam Dance, Like, fucking indie films, baby. This is, you know, you're going to be the next Quentin Tarantino. You're going to be the next Kevin Smith. You put on a ton of credit card debt. You're going to get into the festivals. You're going to get picked up. You're going to be the wunderkind. You're going to be the rock star movie guy that you know deep in your heart you're supposed to be. And so with this amazing team of burgeoning talent, the schedule goes nowhere. Yes,
3: they say no, 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 all over the place, so Holum and Heyman, they go off to LA to try to sell it more, get really frustrated doing that, end up in other occupations out there. Burns ends up at Telenetwork, and, uh, and and that is a tech support company based in Texas, where he meets two other people named Jeff Ramsey and Gustavo Cirola. Ramsey served as a photojournalist in Kuwait as part of the military, then worked as a roadie, as well as a production assistant for View Askew Productions, Kevin Smith's joint, before landing at Telenetwork. Sorola grew up in Texas and was a college dropout, and with Ramsey, they created Drunk Gamers. Drunk Gamers is the pre-Rooster Teeth. Let's get into it.
4: So, it's the, it's the, uh, we're either, we're at the mid-90s at this point, and fucking the internet is happening. If you are a tech nerd and you play video games, you go to video game review websites, you go to, like, uh, early authors like, you know, Maddox and Sean Baby, there is this, like, burgeoning, like, nerd bro tech snark vibe that is just infiltrating the entirety of the unconscious mind through the internet, and Drunk Gamers is no exception, you can find the old website through the internet archive, and it is just, like, Just StarCraft in jokes, like, uh, you know, just real. It's just, I say this in the least damning way possible because it was my sense of humor back then. Right. It's just nerd bros just like hanging out and posting what they think are like hilarious, sarcastic articles online. And uh, I think it's, I think it's with... And it's like Gus and uh, who's the other guy? Gus and
3: uh, Jeff Ramsey, and uh, they before. By the way, before, before Drunk Gamers, they do have this site called Ugly Internet, and just to give you an idea of like the kind of stuff these guys are into they would write really nasty reviews about shitty websites and even try to get them shut down and they were getting <laughs> Sorolla said we were we started getting death threats people started emailing us photos of where we live people <laughs> were telling us they were going to stab us in our sleep so they switched it to drunk gamers
4: i'm you're on metafilter you're on something awful uh you're going to rotten.com just to feel something this is web 1.0 Content. Also, with
3: drunk gamers too, they're literally just like, we just wanted to try to get free video games by writing reviews online, and I think they even they got like one game out of it, and it was a shitty game, and they gave it a perfect score because it was the (laughs) only game they got for free. Like these guys are just fuckers, essentially. But this is,
4: but this is the first stage of the internet. This is internet stage one. And here's here's Burns with his like you know dreams of filmmaking and his like experience in uh, television. And he's hanging out with these, like, web guys. And in the whole time they're working a shitty tech support job. Bernie, I think, is, a, is their manager, actually. Yeah, he
3: works his way up to president. Uh, absolutely.
4: But it's not, you know, it's not the most intellectually stimulating work. And there's a lot of downtime. So, like, of course these guys are making, like, comedy websites on the side. So, like, it's kind of interesting because Bernie sees this potential. He is like kind of he's he's working in this world and like it's ripe for elevation because Drunk Gamers is very much middle of the road. There was hundreds of websites just like this, all by the exact same dudes, all doing tech support, all just trying to scam free games.
3: Yeah. And around this time, Jason Saldana and Dan Godwin was were brought in. They also started putting out different content. And Burns said, I had a weekly column that was gameplay videos it quickly turned into a weekly halo gameplay video after we were linked by halo.bungie.org a few times we started thinking of a way to take it farther red versus blue came out of that and there's more going on with red versus blue's inception which we'll get to in a second But I will just say um, immediately they're working their philosophy, which is just we only make content that we would want to see and comes from a very genuine place. I think that our audience appreciates that voice. And one of those first things was a parody of what it was, the Apple Switch ad campaign. And uh, people might think they remember this, but I don't really I didn't remember this. You're
4: thinking of the Mac versus PC, right? You know, hi, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, with the white background and the tinkly background music. Yeah. Before that, there was the Switch campaign where they had just, like, normal-looking actors talk about how, hey, I'm an IT guy, and I work with Windows all day, and when I get home, the last thing I want to do is troubleshoot problems, which is why I have a Mac.
3: It is, like, a bit, I would say, of a misstep of an ad campaign. It's a bit ridiculous, and so they put out a parody video, essentially, just of a guy being like, yeah, it's so much better to play video games on a Mac because there's only like six of them, so I know exactly how many there are, and I played them all. Like, like it was, it's kind of one of those, and it's actually pretty. Still holds up to be uh, uh,
4: mildly funny. So here's the thing about that ad. Uh, it's you can find it online. Uh, it stars Gus, who is one of the tech guys, who has become a beloved figure throughout Rooster Teeth. He's kind of like the weird uncle. Of the entire company, he always shows up in live action skits. Like he, people love Gus, and uh, he was a Mac user. He was a huge. He probably grew up with a black and white Macintosh in his family PC room back in the day, and uh, he was a huge fan of Bungie, the creators of Halo. Uh, we did a Halo episode, and we get, went into how uh, with how Bungie basically exclusively produced games for the Macintosh and for kids that grew up on Mac, Bungie was their shining light because they were the only ones that produced games like Marathon, which were these in-depth, graphically uh, beautiful first-person shooters. In it was the only thing that Mac users could hang their hat on as like, proof that they can game with the big boys. And in fact, you're missing out for not being on Macintosh. In fact, there's actual um, these guys were so into Bungie that there's like low res digital still cameras from like old Bungie blogs and forum posts of Gus and Bernie and I think a few other. And Matt, I think um, at E3 at yeah, at the Bungie booth when Halo was first uncovered. Probably in an early stage when it was like a third-person real-time strategy game on top of all that.
3: Yeah, it was actually, uh, the, yeah, the founders all went to E3 in 2001. And Gustavo, uh, as you mentioned, was such a huge Bungie fan. He convinced everyone else to go check the game out. And that's why you have press photos of them because it wasn't like, that wasn't when it was popular. They were into it before it was cool. But also this video, this Apple Switch parody, uh, parody is so popular that, that Matt Hullam in L.A. ends up seeing it via another employee at the visual effects studio he works at in L.A. It was like, hey, wait a second. Yeah, I know these guys. (laughs) And so uh, he piques his interest to get back into the mix. And Burns even said, I would say that moment with that video, That's when kind of the world got flat for us. That's when we realized we can put something out there and it can find its way to somebody that I would want to see it. And it can find its way there on its own. They don't need these production companies they've been trying to sell this movie to. They can just get the content direct to the user. It also kind of reminds me of the whole shareware Um, situation Mm -hmm. with id it's like this kind of eureka moment of like i don't need all these middlemen and these people to tell me whether or not i can put my game out there put my video out there whatever so that was pretty much it. Uh, he also said that moment is probably the single most important moment in the history of this company, even more so than when we put the first video of Red versus Blue online. That's when we developed a lot of the early strategies. That's why to this day, we still have a website. We still have our own presence on there, which uh, we think is an important part of what we do. But uh, moving on to Red vs. Blue, so they see this game, and they all really like it, to the point where Bernie Burns even enjoys Halo so much at that E3 event, he gets, like, a day one Xbox um, with the Duke, the Duke controller. Just imagine the Duke controller while we talk about this production stuff for Red vs. Blue, by the way. And I mean, Imagine eight of them, and then all tangled up together.
4: <laughs> ask me to imagine the X- original Xbox Duke controller. It's like trying to imagine a rock that is so big it can't fit in the universe. Like (laughs) the human brain can't even comprehend those sizes.
3: So the, the multiplayer obviously plays this huge role from halo. You just have this red team versus a blue team fighting in a locale called blood Gulch. Uh Oh, is who's there? It's me again. Mungo Jerry. Y'all got any cocaine? (laughs) No, we're doing an episode of a podcast. Okay. See you later. Jesus God,
4: why is I you come? had to pick the one cat, like one of two cats with just like really thick British accents, <laughs> to not give a thick <laughs> British accent.
3: I just hate his name so much. That's why. But either way, they're fighting in a locale called Blood Gulch. Matt Holm said I was working on an animated movie around that time and I came across this idea pursuing machinima and thought this is a groundbreaking way to do animation. So let's talk about machinima a little bit. Machinima goes back to Doom and Quake in the late 90s when id put a feature in where you could record your gameplay. This combined with other capture technology and editing software could allow one to create essentially their own little scenes using the game. Ramsey also attributes a lot of inspiration to mystery science theater and how they would co-opt source material and build a show around it a funny parody comedy show nonetheless uh burns he's getting really into capture technology editing software mixed with being such a halo dude and then he decides to create a comedic scripts around his gameplay and he added the letterbox black bars to get rid of the hud and gun that's why it has the letterbox black bars he decides just to hide that part of the screen so that it looks like a scene is happening and not an fps shooter
4: I watched the first season of Red vs. Blue religiously. I think I would catch it on game trailers or Screw Attack. It was part of my weekly games media uh, parents' basement consumption patterns. I would watch the latest Angry Video Game Nerd. I would watch the latest game reviews. And Always in the Mix was an episode of Red vs. Blue. And I haven't revisited that series since in the 15 years since it aired. pretty funny. And I never noticed how the letterboxing was off specifically just to cover the HUD and the character's guns. It's off. It's like a little bit, it's way higher than a letterbox should be. I just I felt so dumb not realizing that's what they were doing. So
3: The reason why they end up focusing on red versus blue is actually because Computer Gaming World magazine puts the Apple Switch parody on a disc that they included with the magazine. This was back when every magazine came with like a disc, by the way, which a I,
4: demo. Di- oh, I yearn for those demo discs. I know, days. right?
3: And so this prompts the team to have something so that on their website, so that when people see the Apple Switch parody, they can go, to, you know, they'll link to a website and they can go actually see the promise of more content and that's why the red versus blue trailer was created
4: uh we we skipped this part but uh at by this point when uh the demo disc came out uh drunkgamers.com was dissolved because yes. uh nobody wanted to work with them because they didn't like uh their editorial voice and the fact that they were called drunk gamers yeah yeah <laughs> and, and
3: i feel like it's more accepted now the concept of like we're drunk blank right i mean we did drunks and dragons even even though i think they've rebranded since they've rebranded but still like you know it, it was less of like a dirty thing but i could see how back in the day because this is literally the first time i feel like that media creators are becoming like a very successful diy thing on the internet and so this was untapped land So, of course, these big media companies are like, fuck the drunk gamers like that doesn't sound
4: professional at all. Real gaming companies have names like Electronic Gaming Monthly and Ultra Gamers and Electronic Ultra Gamer Monthly and Computer Ultra Gamer Monthly. You know, real companies and
3: Mungo Jerry Tech, which is my favorite. Of course, Mungo Jerry's special tech company. Back me up with the bit, Jake.
4: Coming up this week, the top five <laughs> rumple teaser tablet computers for 2020. Boo, we them. <laughs>
0: Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses. Plus, updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: But either way, Bernie Burns said, Rooster Teeth really started as a production company to service that show. Referring to Red vs. Blue. And the idea is that it takes place between the events of the first and second games in the series. And besides the special video made for E3 in 2003 that has Master Chief in it, there's very little other connection to the video game franchise story-wise. So that they could get more people into the series, they didn't want it to be too tied to the lore of Halo. They wanted to get non-Halo players in.
4: Well, it's interesting. Uh, I think you already mentioned that the game Halo has a very well-known story. It's you know we uh, the you know Cortana, the the flood, the Covenant. All this, all these things are happening. And then you play the multiplayer game and you are just in a box canyon in the middle of nowhere, killing each other over a flag um, with these random ass guys. And so this, this, uh, you know, ludonarrative dissonance, mm, mm, tasty in my mouth. I love the word Mm -hmm. ludonarrative dissonance uh, is something that every Halo player has experienced. And even beyond the people who played the proper Halo game, I remember in college just having the demo version on uh, someone's Xbox and we just played countless hours of uh, Blood Gulch, like Capture the Flag. Like it was more people were familiar with just two, you know, three. I guess if you were playing split screen, two blue players, two red players on opposite sides of a dumb canyon with the one little rock walkway on either side. So you could like try and snipe people. Yeah, obviously you would just pick up the handgun and lay waste to the earth, but that's besides the point.
3: Holm said, I think Bernie was just looking for any way he could to keep making content. We had made this movie together when we were in college and he had a bunch of leftover production equipment from that, and he had an Xbox that happened to be sitting right next to each other and he's always been really good at taking something that somebody else would see in a typical normal way and looking at it from a different direction and thinking like, what else can be done with this? And that is such a defining quote right there of why why, what made their business strategy work so well and how they're able to pivot and do so many things with Bernie at the helm so this is really interesting to get the character movement they exploited a glitch in the game where if you looked all the way to the ground the character's head would pop up which allowed them to bobble it around in a way that would look like the character was talking with the gun cropped out on top of that using system link up to 16 players could play in the arena at one time with four Xbox consoles this is before we had like online play like it is today but you could connect like in a land type way you could connect four xboxes together and that allowed for three xboxes dedicated to playing characters with the fourth as the quote director or camera operating so that's like the first person perspective that's catching the scene and then you could have the other people doing the choreography doing the blocking of the scene and the dialogue and all that kind of stuff In all
4: these early episodes, you still see the aiming reticle of the director's Xbox in every shot. And we'll
3: get into how that changes, and that's when we start tapping in. When Microsoft gets involved, that's where we start tapping into why Twitch exists and why I have a job as a streamer at this point. And that is really fascinating to me. Before we get there, though, yes, they end up changing the name. uh, And just a little bit more on that is just that um, that that was in the trailer – the, like one of the running jokes that would come out of that trailer is calling someone a cockbite. And that ends up being essentially the where rooster teeth came from. They wanted to change the name, but the state of Texas wouldn't let them register Cockbite Productions. So they were like Drunk Gamers, that's not getting any traction because it's not professional sounding enough. How about Cockbite Productions? And then they're like we're not going to let you do that. That's worse than Drunk Gamers. And they're like okay, Rooster Teeth then. So that's how they end up landing On Rooster Teeth. And uh, yeah, and the company forms with the release of the first episode of Red vs. Blue, which happens on April 1, 2003. And the first episode is incredibly popular. It gets over, by the way, it gets it's so popular, guys. It got over 20,000 downloads on the first day of release. Big that's deal a lot of quick time. That's a that's lot, lot of, quick of quick, that's a lot of .mov files. The second episode garners over 250,000 downloads, and it just grew from there. Ramsey said, we tried to write it with a certain amount of referential video game humor, but not so much that it's not accessible to audiences unfamiliar with video games. We try not to take it, make it too much of an inside joke, and I think we use more bureaucracy and military humor than anything else, which everybody working in an office can identify with. Uh, and Hulam said, I remember the first time we went to New York, I think, uh, I think debuted, we debuted season two there and we just thought like a few New Yorkers might come out and that'd be great. But it turned out that people from all over the world came. I remember thinking community is no longer defined by location. Community is defined by shared interests. And that felt like just a mind blowing concept to me, which is again, I am like my whole career, my whole situation. <laughs> came from these defining early moments in the history of the internet and people like the folks at Rooster Teeth. So, yeah, they they had quick times and and the site could not handle the demand for those quick times. We're literally talking about a single server in the corner of Burns's bedroom. Um and then then they ended up getting Four servers in three different cities. They also secretly used, tried to secretly use Telenetwork's bandwidth until so wor- a worker came in and was like, "What's eating up all the bandwidth?" In this car? <laughs> like, like immediately had to shut that down. I mean, this is how DIY this is. They are all working in a spare room in Bernie Burns's house to make these. It's literally like a hobby at this point, even though it's just in a small town
4: successful. in Texas. Like nothing, nothing about this is professional. Like they're w- achieving popularity, but they haven't like nailed, actually, they don't know how to handle that success yet. They're just literally uh, hanging out on Friday nights, recording and uh, writing and just kind of chilling out. And then for the rest of the week, you know, nights and weekends, Bernie is uh, doing the machinimation of bobbing heads and syncing up dialogue and getting the angles and shots right.
3: They used action figures to stage scenes. Controllers were all wired at that time. So that's why I was talking about that like rat king of a controller uh, vision with the dukes. They used nine controllers. They were constantly untangling wires at the end of each day. Voice recording took place in the closet of the room they were working in. Um, And they put a microphone in and later soundproofed it. Gus moves to Puerto Rico. And this is a big defining moment. Gus moves to Puerto Rico during the production of the first season. So they would record over the phone using a Panasonic speakerphone and a shotgun mic. Then they had to match the dialogue with everyone else, which led to this effect of everyone sounding like they were speaking to a helmet mic or like a headset comm system like one would speak when playing Halo with other people online and it just fit perfectly with the whole situation for all these guys with helmets on and stuff. And that's why you have that effect. It was literally because a dude moved to Puerto Rico.
4: The magic of red versus blue is kind of a coalescing of all these factors. It is Halo, which is this recognizable Epic story. It's blood Gulch, which is this one multiplayer map that it's the entirety of any gaming audience of that era would have, Would know every nook and cranny of that map, like the back of their hand, uh, mixed with the mundanity of uh, kind of bureaucracy and grunt life. Like these guys, I forget which of the original founders had like ROTC training, but like there's a very specific kind of relatable, just like sit, you know, uh, sit tight, wait, like hurry up and wait energy to everything that's going on. And because of the limited models that they could use, because it's all just Master Chief in different shades of red and blue, they did really great work establishing these characters where uh, Griff was, like, lazy and sarcastic. Uh, Sarge was this gruff drill sergeant guy who was way too serious. Church was this, like, kind of just uh, down down on his luck every guy. You know, Caboose was just a... Borderline mentally (laughs) unbalanced uh, idiot. And everybody had their own character game in addition to whatever shenanigans with guns and warthogs. I'm sorry, I mean Pumas were going on. So like the grandiosity of the Halo universe juxtaposed with the mundanity of just the actual lived lives of gamers with day jobs and, you know, just casual uh, needs really just, like, was lightning in a bottle. There's something to Red versus Blue that is just, it just resonates so hard.
3: So, uh, yeah, they also, oh, uh, just a couple more things about Red vs. Blue. Um A band named Trocadero were fans of the series and sent in a song called Blood Gulch Blues. That became the main theme and led to them serving as composers for the next 17 uh, seasons. Bernie was really the one who led the the story team, through and through for for most of the seasons. Bernie will write an outline for the season, says Sorola, and he'll have plot points that we'll try and reach during the season. Then week to week, a script will get hammered out to try and get closer to those plot points. Once we have a final script, we'll all take a look at it, offer suggestions, then we'll take it in and record the audio. And again, I just think it's a testament to how All of the characters look identical except for their color, so it just forced them to really give them big personalities and fun characters to play in. But either way, the thing gets so popular, and then they're like, how do we monetize this? Uh, One kind of funny thing is that they put it on DVD, but by the time they put it on DVD, they'd already taught their audience how to download it. So well that there was just very, you know, there there were enough people buying DVDs, but still not worth like all the effort they're putting in and and the popularity they're getting in return,
4: not just download uh, they in order to their final solution to the bandwidth issue. Was that they used the then burgeoning technology of peer to peer networking, like Kazaa and BitTorrent, to yeah. distribute the episodes?
3: So yeah, they already they t- essentially taught them how to steal it uh, before they put it out on DVD.
4: But they did also add a PayPal button, which was a good source of income because just like uh, them at you know uh, the tech support company, there were millions of programmers, uh, you know, uh, network administrators, and just general tech guys who had, you know, know, who had just money to burn and just wanted to toss him like a couple hundred bucks for being cool.
3: Burns said, the moment we put up the PayPal button, some guy donated $300. That's when we realized that if you give somebody a chance to support something on the Internet, they'll do it. So that's where the sponsor subscription model came from. It's going to be called the Sponsor Program. Up until about 2016, and then it gets changed to Rooster Teeth first, which we'll talk about later. But either way, uh, and that was like a nod to people typing first in the comments, like everybody does when they're the first commenter. Uh, they uh, also sold shirts, as they couldn't, but they couldn't use branded stuff from Halo, so they just like wrote the names on sports jerseys of the characters, which is an interesting workaround. But ta- speaking of workarounds and speaking about the source material Halo, this is where Microsoft gets involved. Sirola said, I remember we were sitting there one day and we were watching the hit counter and we saw a Microsoft address go by who had watched the video. We thought, oh, that's weird. And then we saw like five addresses go by for Microsoft. All right. Well, that's weird. Then we saw like 30. (laughs) And so and but miraculously, instead of a takedown letter, uh, which could have like this could have happened so differently depending on the the dev company they worked with uh, or, or they were using. But. Uh, They were contacted by a rep at Bungie and told them that they were fans of the show and they wanted to actually see how they could help. And they decided that legalities aside, this was good for their game and actually helped promote their game, which is a huge turning point in all of this. And again, why Twitch exists, why I have that job, uh, period. And in the next Halo games, they end up adding a button that would lower the player's gun, which was only there to help machinima directors, which is like (laughs) kind of amazing. They even eventually became licensed partners with Microsoft, Bungie, and 343, and other machinima creators lived in a relative legal gray area until 2007 when Microsoft issued the Game Content Usage Rights, which limited the use of copyrighted content from many of their video games for derivative works. Blizzard follows suit in World of Warcraft. This is a huge deal. This is why you have gameplay YouTube and streaming that does not break any licensing laws. It is like a massively impactful situation, and we have Rooster Teeth to thank for it. And this is how they broke it down. Microsoft clarifies its non-commercial limitation by stating that licensees cannot, quote, sell or otherwise earn anything from their games, which includes using an item to solicit donations, using it to enter a contest or sweepstakes, and placing the item on the same webpage as other unrelated items that are for sale. However, pursuant to the Microsoft rules, licensees may post their works on web pages with advertising or enter their works into film festivals for prize consideration. Licensees may also store their items on third-party sites, which, according to Microsoft Legal Counsel, Don McGowan's personal blog, would include video-sharing websites, such as YouTube or the Microsoft-owned Soapbox, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. But still, that's a massive, huge bit of legality there that, that has affected so many people's lives. So... While this is going on, they also realized the same thing I realized about a year into Twitch streaming, which is it's actually more about building this community than it even is about the content. And so their focus ends up being big on their fans and essentially opening the curtain and making the fans, this is a big part of their philosophy, making the fans feel like they're a part of. The creation of all of this stuff, which is something I feel like I've even adapted in a lot of ways we even do. I mean, the Sunday study session is is a big example of that.
4: Oh, are you talking about how if you go to patreon.com slash whizbrew, you can uh, join a tier that lets you uh, join us for a weekly study session stream where we go into content and videos and gameplay for upcoming topics with members of our discord? It's full video where you get to like talk to us and help shape the future of the episode. Is that what you're talking about on Patreon.com Whisper? Take it from me, Mungo Jerry. I'm lonely. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mungo Jerry will not be there, by the way. We don't let Mungo Jerry attend those sessions. Please, please let me attend the Sunday study session. Never, Mungo Jerry. Now, set yourself back on fire like you were an hour ago. I don't know what's going on.
4: So Red versus Blue is gaining in popularity. The seasons are continuing with increasing complexity and lore. They're kind of building an alternate timeline within the Halo universe and the uh, what is happening within the blood Gulch uh, chronicles kind of expands into a galaxy wide conspiracy theories with AIs and rogue scientists and evil corporations. Um, Over on the Rooster Teeth website, they have the forums where lots of staff members are interacting with fans and kind of creating faces for themselves. They've moved to uh, bigger and bigger offices And this whole process is uh, constantly recorded and uploaded and shared with their audience. Uh, They have their own webcomic that becomes popular where they get to like showcase uh, this heightened version of the founders and the staff and what they're doing. They start releasing funny little video sketches of themselves and Rooster Teeth is becoming more than just Red versus Blue. It's becoming this personality-based kind of, cast of characters in a lot of the same way that i i refer to college humor how they kind of became had hits with their uh uh most you know hardly working series uh you know the the cast kind of expands and becomes real to these people it becomes kind of this coterie of friends that the audience becomes attached
3: to so now now they're building their audience growth but also on the other side of that they're building their relationships with other corporations and trying to build trust as this DIY organization which was tricky they move into their first office slash studio on railroad drive um, named
4: because it was actually a railroad nearby shipping which railroad tracks meant that they
3: had to like constantly stop recording because of that uh and Heyman said making people understand that we were reliable was a bit of a battle if you're a marketing guy at a de- at a developer you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit right Right. Because it's just sort of like, here's some guys who are working out of a garage. And so we were really good about when we made commitments, we would get it done. And so they had an E a deal with EA. Um, this was uh, was this tied to the Strangerhood? The Strangerhood was the Sims 2 show that they put out that they ended up that one. They ended up making commercials out of that as well, I believe. Right. Using the Sims.
4: Uh, their follow up series to Red vs. Blue was Strangerhood, which was a Sims 2 based machinima show. Um, and EA found that and hired them to do promo clips for, uh, one of the Madden's. For Madden's, and then
3: they ended up making a parody video using Madden, and that pissed EA off and told them they could never use their stuff again, which was interesting. Um, and then they also, uh, they later team up, they do Machinima commercials for GameStop in 2010,
4: Um, and, and if you remember those GameStop ads where it's just like goofy voice acting over clips of like Mortal Kombat, that was them. Yes. And that was usually done uh, for online advertising pre-roll for, you know, all these, again, we're at the peak of gamer websites. Uh, so like red versus blue is a trusted brand and people would recognize those voices and that machinima style. And it was a little bit of credibility, Kind of, uh, you know, spawn con, sponsored content.
3: They also have their first fan event in 2005, the RVBTO or Red vs. Blue Toronto. This is where they meet um, Barbara Dunkelman, who ends up uh, later being hired as a community manager. Then there's um, their third machinima show, Panics People Acting Normal in Crazy Ass Situations, which was a publicity machinima for uh, fear. The video game Fear First Encounter Assault Recon. So again, just showing that they're able to now build a community and have this personal like we're just like you guys kind of side while also making big deals with corporations and putting out content for them. And that's really where they're experiencing this like groundswell of growth and finance and
4: all this good stuff. We say big deal, but it's kind of you know it's just enough to like give them a day job it's just enough to keep the company going and to keep them fed and housed you know um the a big deal with ea supposedly for these like online only ads was probably just a couple you know hundred thousand dollars when like a giant media buy can be in the millions of dollars so it's you know by internet standards they were these massive successes the fact is by media standards they're still an incredibly small company Totally, and and they start
3: branching out content-wise as well. In 2008, Jeff and recent hire Jack Petillo began Achievement Hunter. This is a gameplay series in which they do guides on how to unlock achievements in games. Now, one, one needs to be taken back to this time period when yeah. Xbox released achievements as a thing because now achievements are sometimes paid attention to i'm very proud that i platinumed uh bloodborne but i i haven't done that in any other game it's like not a big deal to me i don't measure it's not like
4: you're feeling any gamer score anxiety
3: yeah whereas back in the day when xbox started achievements it was a huge deal and people were competing with each other on who could get the most achievements in games people were purposely purchasing shitty games because they knew they could get a bunch of easy achievements on the Mm -hmm. game i mean it was like a big deal back then and And so these guys capitalized on that because they looked around and again, they're like, hey, no one's making videos about how to get all these achievements on these Xbox games. Let's just start putting that out there because we see the space for it. And so they end up creating this series and that is what essentially leads to the comedic Let's Plays and all that other stuff later, like just chill hangout Let's Plays that would become incredibly popular.
4: Uh, They realized that the Fail Friday compilations, which was just them showing clips of them dying or making dumb mistakes in the previous week of recording Achievement Hunter, where they were free to be themselves and joke around with much less, like, informative uh, responsibility, were doing the best of the Achievement Hunter videos. And so, like, as YouTube was coming into its own, they kind of realized that, like, sometimes you don't even need to, like, do all the animation and do all of the prep work and writing for a machinima video. You can just have recognizable games that the viewer is already interested in and have these personalities that are funny and interesting and just kind of talk about their lives and react to what's happening. So it does
3: two things at once. It it not only puts content out there and gives people hours of entertainment, but again, it feeds into that. Let's pull back the curtain and make you feel like you're a part of this group of friends.
4: Mm hmm. Uh, it's around this time that uh, staff members like uh, Gavin Free joins up. He was a longtime fan of Red versus Blue. He grew up in England and literally like he just like showed up and like kept bugging them until he could get hired. And he was such an active member of, a commu- of the community and was so like uh, kind of just already one of the guys that when he was finally brought on, they didn't actually have work for him. So he like famously there's video clips of this. He just moved his desk over to Achievement Hunter's uh, side of the office and started uh, just doing work with them. They quickly brought him on to be- act in live action sketches. And at the same time, he launched the very, very popular Slow Mo Guys uh, YouTube channel, which is still a powerhouse over there. Um, over on the Red versus Blue side of things, they enlisted an animator by the name of Monty Ohm. Mm who worked on video games and did a lot of fight choreography for cutscenes, And he at, he basically revolutionized and revitalized the red versus blue series by taking his, his, uh, his basically his superpower, which was animating incredibly inventive, highly kinetic and intricately choreographed fight scenes. He did work uh, doing fan animations for stuff like dead fantasy, which was his series where like, all the cute girl characters from the Final Fantasy series beat each other up, like Tifa versus uh I don't know, the Rika? Is Rika y- one of them? Yuki. Uh and Haloid, obviously, was one where Master Chief and Samus Aran fought a bunch of Covenant in a giant spectacular battle. Yeah,
3: that's essentially what caught their eye was that uh Haloid or what not is it Haloid?
4: Haloid. Metro yes. Halo they, they plus like, Metro. This is
3: badass. We want you to come make fight scenes for red versus blue. All of this leads up to the creation of Ruby. Jake, I feel like you have a better handle on Ruby. What's going on here?
4: So Monty is doing great work with Red vs. Blue. His fight scenes are still like some of the most watched clips from the entire history of the series. He has this impeccable eye for um, unique set pieces, unique kinetic motions like uh, there's one scene where the character Tex, who is a freelancer and also a zombie robot with the ghost of a character's dead wife in it. It's very complicated. It's very weird how goofy any individual scene of Red vs. Blue is versus how convoluted the final plot ended up being. But uh, there's rockets and teleporters and nutshots and <laughs> a, a Monty Ohm fight scene has just... Even though it's just these like very basic computer models, the impact of every hit is like really well animated. There's a build and a follow through, even when it's happening at like 15 punches a second. I can't describe enough how amazing it is. But he was an incredibly driven weeb through and through. He was one of the he had he had dumb anime hair. He had cute anime girl posters all over his workspace And he even loved martial arts and would do mocap with his small animation team for these fight scenes on his own. And he had this dream of this just like original series with an anime style done in full 3D, which was very rare at the time. It was this burgeoning thing. Like nowadays, CG based animes are all over the place. It's kind of like been folded into the anime production uh, method. But he was really breaking ground with this. And he had this idea for this original anime series with these color-coded girls. He claims it happened in a dream that he had this like idea of a red girl, a white girl, a black girl, and a yellow girl. Um, I know that sounded racial, but they just meant clothing and hair color. And he started releasing these amazing trailers. To this day, one of the most popular Rooster Teeth produced pieces of media ever is the ruby red trailer and honestly maybe pause this podcast honest to god this is one of the most incredible fight scenes incredible pieces of fight animation i have ever witnessed and i re-watched it like last night and i was still floored by it and it created unbelievable amounts of hype with this Amazing score by Jeff Williams, who was uh, the in-house musician who worked on a lot of stuff for Red vs. Blue, and then obviously Ruby, and it blew people's minds. We had this gothic Lolita, uh, Little Red Riding Hood with a sniper rifle scythe, just kicking these evil werewolf asses. I'm not doing it justice. I really can't do it justice. There was something truly incredible happening with this clip. And it created ungodly amounts of hype for this series. Um And Ruby, which R-W-B-Y, became a breakout hit with its, like... Honest to God, I tried watching a lot of the early episodes and it's a little bit clumsy. Like, the fact is, even the original Red vs. Blue guys are just kind of making stuff as they kind of feel like it without having gone through a lot of gatekeeping. Uh-huh. Imagine... You took, like, a gamer guy, shoved Cowboy Bebop, Bleach, uh, Soul Eater, and Avatar The Last Airbender into a musket and just shot it in someone's face. And whatever remnants was left of their flesh is ruby.
3: Also just just to give you an idea of how popular it was it was the first like american essentially anime production to be reverse translated to japan it was actually like that's that's a testament to how big of a deal it was that it was actually brought to japan and popularized there as an anime which is like crazy difficult to achieve so yeah just pretty amazing
4: oh and because it was original designs which these were really good designs they sold tons of merch, tons of figurines, tons of t-shirts, all of these things that they couldn't do with Red versus Blue. And by this point in the internet's life, we're at around 2008, 2009, 2010, uh, the gamer website is in trouble and YouTube is kind of taking over. It's individual creators posting on YouTube, but there's also a gold rush where Uh, creators like PewDiePie and uh, Markiplier and the Game Grumps and Jacksepticeye and all these people are kind of like coming into their own. And there's tons of money to be had. And Achievement Hunter is right up in there with them for this kind of YouTube ad gold rush. So Brewster Teeth is growing exponentially with this giant new platform of YouTube. They are killing it with YouTube. And they're making lots of ad sponsorships. They're making lots of SpawnCon. They're making lots of deals. Their increasing cast of commentators, all kind of like this hodgepodge of people that were picked from their animation staff, from their editing staff, even from their like events planning, are all kind of becoming internet celebrities. And they're just kind of this unstoppable force in internet content production at this point.
3: Also, we haven't even mentioned the podcast they created to give fans a peek behind the curtain, which added to the engagement, making them feel like part of the process. Again, originally dubbed the Drunk Tank, they changed it to the uh, Rooster Teeth Podcast or RT Podcast. So said the podcast was a good way to continue to connect and spread the message. People might not want to read a long post that we make on the website, but they might listen to us talk about it. And maybe we give people a little behind the scenes glimpse of what it's like to be making all this stuff all the time. Also, even their content, their comedy content, content is a peek behind the curtain with their live action shorts um uh, they got the bare naked lady guys uh bare naked ladies guy a front man to be captain dynamic in this series of shorts to promote the game city of heroes and that was their first foray into live action and then um and that was directed by matt hullum and written by bernie burns and then they just started pumping out these live action shorts that parodied life at the rooster teeth offices again which gives you this little like connector to the team in this way. And those are super popular.
4: Oh God. I didn't even mention. There's so many other side series. There's immersion where, uh, several of the OG rooster teeth founders and a lot of the new blood pay for these convoluted camera, uh, setups where like, uh, they hook someone up to video goggles and they can only see a video feed of themselves from the side And they have to navigate a Mario influenced course. So it's like a real life side scroller Mm -hmm. or they did this crazy thing where they hooked up a camera like eight feet behind a car and replaced a windshield with a flat screen TV. So that you had to drive the car from the perspective of when you're driving a car in, like, a Grand Theft Auto game.
3: Right, right, right.
4: These are huge YouTube hits. Just
3: all very, uh, just a big varietal of content, too. To some, all serving different purposes. They move into new offices. They're going to do that a few times after this. Um, uh, Their next place is 636 Ralph, uh, uh, Blen- uh, or 636. They move into different offices, which are going to have happen a lot. The The 636 offices... Change happened in 2010, and um, this is also when they do the Rooster Teeth Expo for the first time. Initially, it was supposed to be a small gathering of fans for an office tour and some presentations and other little activities, but they accidentally oversold the event. It was supposed to be a max of 200 people, it turned out to be over 500, and it ended up being just a big meet and greet in the offices in a nearby open field. Um, and Miles Luna is hired off of this event, who was a volunteer at the event to be like another community manager type person. And uh yeah they they all this new content coming out Rage Quit is a spin off of Achievement Hunters In 2011 they end up formally doing uh let's play as its own thing a non walkthrough funny laid back gameplay video series and obviously let's play is just this massively popular internet content thing at this point um they the the Rooster Teeth animated adventures uh, which started out as Drunk Tank Animated Adventures, were, were essentially animations, uh, amateur animations, set to the podcast, which was done by a fan. So all these, like, fans are now getting hired. People are, like you said, moving up a chair to a, a department. And this is a good thing in theory, but it also can, is partly what leads a bit to their downfall or a bit to their criticisms later on, because then when you start gray area what you do with the company... Um, All of a sudden, you can find yourself being pretty exploited work-wise and doing way too many things outside of your job uh, description, um, getting pushed and and, and therefore into a bunch of crunch stuff. The animation department is one of the first big ones to hit. We'll get into that in a little bit, but either way, still, they have all these different shows. The Gauntlet, a gaming competition show with a $10,000 prize. Like, just all this different stuff and getting so, so big, and that's what brings us to the buyout. Um, And this is when things kind of take a, maybe one might consider a dark turn for the company, at least as it was in its initial inception, which is just like a group of friends making content that they think people might like. But um, once something gets too big for its britches, which arguably Rooster Teeth gets at this point in their growth, these sorts of... Maybe insidious players move in, and um, it's a
4: common thing. A similar thing happened to college humor with uh, IAC at one point. It's if your job is to make uh, emergent hit internet things and to make your investors money, doing that on your own is very hard. But if you can just spend the amount of money that you would have had with your infinite corporate money to just buy out someone who's already done it right then you're a genius. Justin. and
0: so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store.
2: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: So, this also I feel like is interesting because it revolves around what Bernie initially wanted to do, which was make movies. And he wants to make a movie called Laser Team. And they move into Stage 5 Studios, which is an actual full-on production facility at this point. And they're really hyped to do bigger
4: projects. They have actual full-size sound stages to work with at this. By the way, I love
3: how they touch every bullet point of the history of the development of the internet, because here is when they get into crowdsourcing or crowdfunding, rather, which was again, this huge boom around the time that they're doing it. They put a, uh, a IndieGoGo page up. They end up raising over a million dollars in just three days. 2.5 million dollars by the end. Way more than they asked for. And Again, this takes me back to this time. I did a Kickstarter for a big project for my sketch group. Like, everybody was jumping on board that. It seems like they always jump on board whatever big internet trend is happening when it happens or just before it happens. So, they make the movie. They release it in 2015 to mixed reviews. Um, And shortly after the full screen buyout happens. And uh, this is the first time I think that Rooster Teeth's own community starts to maybe turn on them a little bit or criticize them a bit for this. Because I think what happens is when, and I think you see this with a lot of crowdsourcing stuff, when people support it, they want to feel like it's their funded thing and that Mm -hmm. nothing else was involved in that. And then so to see the full screen buyout happen just shortly like or around this time um, i think pissed a lot of people off because they were like wait wait now you're just getting like corporate money even though i gave you my hard earned money directly to you to make this thing happen like what is the deal and they they do make a sequel to laser team and that is fully funded through full screen But let's get into this. Okay, so the full screen buyout. Full screen is established back in 2011 by a former YouTube employee who created the partner program for the site, by the way, which is essentially how YouTube got monetized for creators, which is a huge deal. Um, A major player in all of this is a guy named Peter Chernin, who was known for developing 20th Century Fox. He he had a hand in, in The Simpsons being a thing. He had a hand in, he essentially can take your company and just take it
4: to the moon monetarily. Uh, He was a rich, old, like classic TV film guy who got hired by, who, you know, through YouTube created this massive like gold rush for uh, sponsored content, content networks, uh, places like Maker, like Polaris, like uh, even Machinima.com became its own weird thing. And so these massive deals and massive ad buys were all kind of happening. And so obviously the guy who helped make this environment happen was like, well, I'm the guy who knows how to, you know, navigate this thing the best because I fucking built it. So I'm going to start buying up and partnering with all these big channels and all these big creators, and I'm going to get a piece of this pie. So full screen is really about navigating the YouTube sphere to maximize commercial profits.
3: So this gets real tangled, by the way. We had a full got got to look at a full breakdown of all of this, but I got lost way into the weeds on this. Maybe you have a little bit clearer of an idea of how all this
4: happens, but it breaks down like this. Um, full screen is really working with like within the YouTube system. But the adpocalypse happens, which was this famous thing, you know, uh, people point to PewDiePie, people point to a lot of things, but like slowly but surely the well was drying up on just like views equals you're a millionaire. And so uh, full screen got bought out by Otter Media, which Otter is named after OTT, which is over the top service, which is the idea that Hulu, Netflix... um, Crackle, beloved video service Crackle, are all video uh, services that you pay for on top of your internet connection. These are services that you need a existing service to use. And that's where the big investment money was coming in from. So the idea was, okay, YouTube is a dead end, but who has enough of a dedicated audience to like, be a good basis for a subscription service college humor try is tried to do it with dropout you know a lot of other companies kind of like mixed and matched and tried to like get their own thing going but rooster teeth was kind of with their with uh ruby and red versus blue and all these others and their uh just core audience that already loves them with achievement hunter kind of um swallows up full screen and is like kind of investing money and, and inserting executives and trying to like get Rooster Teeth ready to be just another icon on your smart TV. Wait, have you said AT&T yet? So Warner <laughs> then buys Otter and then AT&T then buys Warner and it's just this giant Ouroboros Matryoshka doll.
3: By the way, it has a direct effect on our lives. <laughs> we had Rooster Teeth's ad agency as our ad company after mid roll, and um, this actually was news to me in my life. This AT and T buying up thing, uh, which is kind of amazing that we're doing an episode that now I'm reading stuff that's like, oh, this actually directly affected my life back in 2018, 2019. You know what I mean? Like that's so insane. But anyways, it just feels so surreal when it's like taps into our own situation. Full disclosure, but uh, either way, yeah, this this buyout. Essentially takes Rooster Teeth to another level in terms of corporate and leads to a a lot more content for the site, about 40 plus new shows. The animation department is now fully developed and led by Gray Haddock, who would step down later and leave the company in 2019 after reports of a poor workplace environment. And this is when these cracks start to show they also have their biggest show at this point, Gin Lock, a project in collaboration with Michael B. Jordan. This actually airs on television in Adult Swim's Tsunami block and is also the first time they partnered with HBO Max. They do a sequel to of Laser Team. This time it's fully funded by Warner. No crowdsourcing. They build out the Let's Play family at this time by partnering up with a bunch of streamers. Their phone app launches in 2015, as well as a gaming arm that put out uh, to put out Ruby Grim Eclipse uh video game based on the franchise.
4: I feel like this is around the time where Ruby kind of is pushed all over the place. Like uh they've kept producing seasons. Uh their animation department is like working overtime. And all of this is happening after the creator of Ruby, uh Monty Ohm, unfortunately died yeah. in um twenty fifteen from a just genuinely tragic uh, complication from allergies. He went in for very sad. an allergy booster shot and just had a horrible reaction, went into a coma, and it was very sudden. And um, I know a lot of fans were truly heartbroken. Like, in a way, this is like gamer, anime nerd, like Jim Henson, like. Sudden and tragic death that, like, leaves a, a gap in their souls. Like, and
3: they did continue on with the series after that. Uh, but another sad element of that is it seems like potentially Ohm's collaborators and even his wife were removed, I believe, from the the company sort of slowly after that, which is very fucked up.
4: Um, Another key animator who was involved with the production of Ruby who was kind of Monty's right-hand man is a guy named, uh, I believe, Sean Neville. Oh, Shane Neville, Shane Neville. I'd sorry for getting the name wrong. Um, he was like, he was also responsible for, he was another guy who made over the top 3d animated fight scenes and like really was, you know, just idolized Monty and played a key part in a lot of like some of the most memorable, uh, Ruby scenes. He made a really long treatise after Monty's death about the changes to the production company, to the animation department, and to Ruby that went against the quote, uh, original vision of the show.
3: Also, I, I think that I believe this is before the buyout, and we just kind of glossed over it. Is that Funhouse? Although he
4: was very vague, he didn't name names. Didn't so name names. I, you know, this is alleged. a lot. There's a lot of it drama all that happens,
3: um, but in a company. But yeah, we we haven't mentioned Funhouse. Funhouse was originally known as Inside Gaming. It operated under Machinima Productions, but the founders later disbanded and reformed as Funhouse under Rooster Teeth and were essentially the L.A. arm of the company. And that's going to come up in a little bit, obviously, if you know anything about the recent drama, which we will get into. But before we do that... They
4: also bought up uh, the old Screw Attack team. Uh, Death Battle and a bunch of their other series then became Rooster Teeth series. And that old crew, another, again, another intimate gamer let's play parasocial group of friends uh re-emerged under the name game attack
3: in 2016 they have a few big new hires and this appears to 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 be an attempt to push the company towards being a full-on streaming service like a twitch or something like that and these are louis medina Senior Vice President of Partnerships, Evan Bregman, Director of Programming, and Ryan P. Hall, Head of Development. They all came from internet media companies. They marked the first time Rooster Teeth hires outside of the company for like super big roles uh, within. And then they changed their sponsor subscription to Rooster Teeth first, which also slowly gets more exclusive content to that program. Then AT&T gets their brass in charge as execs with the founders in more of a creative position, therefore pushing the founders Below, down, down, less power. Right in 2019, uh, that leads to a massive layout layoff. Um, Matt Hollem steps down as CEO to be Chief Content Officer. Bernie Burns moves to an executive producer role, and Jeff Ramsey becomes Executive Creative Director. And there's uh, what like 40 people are laid off or something like that. And um, that is where we get some interesting. Like there's a video up from their podcast. Where um, they're, you know, it's like the day of the layoffs and the guy Mm -hmm. is like a shell of a human talking about how, you know, fucked up it is and sad. And, And so like you have two things going now where like things are getting super corporate and like shitty things like that are happening that one usually doesn't convey in like a podcast while they're still like, hey, we're peek behind the curtain rooster teeth. Happening at the same time, which gives you a really interesting insight into the inner workings of the company during fucked up shit, which is interesting, which is like from a a standpoint of fascination with the rise and fall of all these media companies. It's really interesting, fascinating stuff to watch and also really sad. But either way, in 2020, in response to some... Uh, general social see changes. They go back and delete content that they quote no longer feel comfortable hosting
4: on our platforms. I am shocked, shocked that grown adults would be ashamed of some things they said in two thousand five. Yeah, and the black. I Lives, can't believe that happened.
3: The Black Lives Matter movement really uh, leads to a lot of changes in the company, which I, you know, that, I think that's cool. I mean, I get it.
4: Uh, one of the original founders uh, kind of got pushed out because he wasn't as on board with the program. And was, like, posting a lot of, like, very cringy uh, political stuff on social media.
3: Michael Quinn, he he w- was just shitty hot take tweets, conspiracy theories, anti-BLM, just all this kind of stuff. Like, it's just the same red hat bullshit, like, stuff. Like, you know, believing, yeah, thinking COVID's of ho- a hoax. Just all that just awful dumb shit. And clearly he was like toxic in the offices and uh, as well and was like, go for that reason,
4: allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. we weren't there, but uh, uh,
3: <laughs> then there's also now we can talk about it. The Adam Kovic, Ryan Haywood stuff. So to be fair, Kovic is kind of lumped in with Haywood. Their their issues and allegations and everything are a bit different from each other. Kovic's no saint. But Haywood's the real monster I feel like here, uh, just to, and this again speaks towards another more recent development in the whole internet culture thing, not really recent, it's probably been happening since the beginning, but that is the culture of, this is a young person's game at this point, I feel like we feel like our audiences are generally a more mature bunch of people, like the people in our study group, the people who watch my Twitch stream, not all of them, but a lot of them are closer to my age, that sort of thing. But for a lot of these content creation houses like Rooster Teeth, the fans are young and Mm -hmm. impressionable. And... Uh, they don't understand that it's not like super cool that this dude from this site that I love is flirting with me on Snapchat. That's actually
4: not cool. No, it's it's like it's amazing. It's wonderful. <laughs> the 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 guy that is my friend on the screen is now showing me his penis.
3: Yes, and it's so it's so dirty and rotten. And this guy was like a the, a fucking poster boy for it. It turns out, uh, allegedly Ryan Haywood. But a lot of young people came out saying I was seventeen when he sent me these photos I mean we're talking to and I believe Kovic is guilty of this as well taking photos in the offices to like lewd photo, photographs Ooh. of and, and dick pics and stuff and then sending them to people um, there's I read there's a whole reddit thread you can really get into, and I don't wanna like disgust us with the dirty details per se, but I'll just say a lot of young people came out hey, what's that was the type of guy they even joked about it on the podcast a couple times where it's like he always stayed an extra night after the convention was over. And he always said that was just to get one more night of peace and quiet before I have to go back home to my wife and kids when really it was so that he could have uh, uh, meetups and stuff of his own in the hotel room. Uh, Just tons of it, just a wall of it. And I think about it a lot because I feel like I am in a weird position of power in a sense when it comes to running a community and that sort of thing on such a more micro level than, like, this fucking piece of shit. But um, how that power could be abused and how, you know... You can. It's just so nasty, and I'm just so glad I don't have it for the Young youngs
4: too. Ugh, so gross. Do you want to hear my my flaming hot take? What? So when uh, we started looking into this, I assumed that like it was one of the you know founding five, one of like the larger guys. No, and Heywood, like, it should be said story is a
3: Funhouse guy, I believe.
4: Right. Yeah. And uh, the fact of the matter is, as we got into it, like between Achievement Hunter and Funhouse and Game Attack and all the various shows that uh, this company is responsible for. The fact is given any pool of a hundred men, two of them are going to be weird, <laughs> weird, uh, icky uh, sex bests.
3: Well, you are, that is a glass half empty uh, take, but yeah. uh,
4: I, <laughs> I just, I, I'm this just guy. saying like, if you worked at uh you know, chem there's probably, you know, it's just when it turns out Steve in accounts receivable, uh is a fucking manipulative cheater that like preys on young women uh he just gets a stern talking to and a severance p- and like nobody hears well, it's, about
3: it's it. just interesting how this monster rears its ugly head in these this current age with the idea that like anybody can be now your kid's hero they, li- mm. li- they literally just can be they there's no regulation you know i mean even with like I remember in the early days of Henry getting in with ho- like Hollywood and TV work, you have like multiple meetings with people. They're like vetting you, you know, these studios yeah. and these agents and stuff. They're really trying to make sure you're a legit professional who's not a creep and a weirdo. And obviously the creeps and the weirdos get in there regardless. But now you can just overnight have a, be a YouTube star or a Twitch star, you know, and, and there's no regulation, a uh, uh, very little regulation, of that role that we now have with these people being these massive, literally called influencers over these very young people, and if they're into these very young people, I mean, we're seeing it left and right now, and this is just another case of this. Where it's like, how do we regulate this? And how it's just interesting in an age now where, where I've directly benefited from the fact that I always felt like the industry didn't want to have anything to do with me, like the the Hollywood industry, like the television industry, and film industry. And I was so elated to be able to find a workaround where I could connect directly to the people who did want to have something to do with me, my audience, my community. And and but at the the ugly side of that coin is that you you can also just be a monster and manipulate people and use that idolization. Well first hold on. you, you know? gotta
4: understand that to even want to perform for other people means you're some kind of monster. It's just right. we're lucky <laughs> exactly. our particular monster shit. It's just um, I like hanging out and watching like uh, anime till 2 a.m. <laughs> and I just need strangers to tell me I'm OK.
3: So that whole situation is that whole situation. And again, check out that Reddit thread if you want to get all the details on it. It's real ugly shit. Um, and, and this is just like another punch in the gut to this company over the past like year. In 2019, that guy did that video uh, on the layoffs. And I laughed because at the very beginning of the video, he was just like, this is a dark moment for the company. Hopefully it is the darkest moment for the company. And I just like laughed out loud because like, oh my God, we haven't even gotten to the Haywood shit. Like that is just Mm. like this next level blow in 2020 when the pandemic's already going down and affecting everyone's lives and everyone's streaming from home. And it's not the same thing anymore, at least for now, until things open back up. It's just so unfortunate for this company. Um, and then you also have Mika Burton after leaving the company revealed. She felt the, uh, ex- she felt that she experienced racism in the company. She was very vague about it. She may actually, she, she teased potentially putting out more of a specific document about what, what she experienced in the company. But again, just not a great look for them, especially during, while they're LeVar trying
4: Burton's to daughter, by, by the, the
3: way. way. And she even said that they seemed more, um, concerned about what LeVar Burton thought of the company than like her in the company. Um, uh, a number of anonymous employees have posted on Glassdoor, a website for employees to review their place of envir- employment, which I didn't actually know about. And I, I, that's interesting that that exists. A Yelp for uh, businesses there should be about uh, a lot of them wrote about rough work environment stuff, a lot of crunch time stuff, denial of overtime pay to workers, all this stuff. This leads to Matt Holum coming out and apologizing and talking about how they need to fix it. Dude, just like, this is all in the last couple years.
4: I mean, they're, you know, they're not Union. And even in Union Animation Studios, crunch can still happen. Oh, oh, uh,
3: sorry. uh, Revision. Michael Quinn was released from the company after being arrested on domestic abuse charges. It's Joel Heyman that was fired from the company in June of 2020 for his hot racist takes and whatnot that I mentioned earlier. Sorry about that. Joel Heyman. The other guy is just a domestic abuser. Joel Heyman is the guy that uh, thinks that COVID's not real. (laughs) So it's just so much bad publicity. It's, it seems overwhelming and all post buyout. Heyman
4: specific. He didn't say COVID's not real. It's like a very specific hot take where like, he was like clear. He was, he was, I'm saying he was like testing the waters to see if he could build up to the, he, uh, it's, he, the, the posts themselves are very like skirting the line, and he's even like, "Don't yell at me for this." Like he knows he's like violating some taboo. Yeah, and I think enough people were just like, "I read the tweets, and he didn't." They yeah. suck, and that guy doesn't seem. They cool. do suck. Um, they do suck. But he wasn't just like, "We must protect the white race for our right, children." Right,
3: right. But all of this to say, I think a big tell of where this company's at is that Bernie Burns leaves the company in June of 2020, deciding to move out of the U.S due to COVID and everything else. Uh, uh, And that, that, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. They're in such disarray. It's such a fascinating story, a bit of a rise. And I think we're looking at a fall here and, it's very unfortunate because it does seem like now they are uh, being run by corporate dinosaurs that have, hilariously, their their whole MO has been being on, ahead of the game, being ahead of the curve with all this tech stuff and everything. Now, it looks like now the whole company is in the hands of people who have no idea, classically, have no idea what to do with an internet media company, just like we've seen with so many other failed internet media service providers content creators they they get too big for the bridges then the old people come in and fuck it all up and i think that's what we're kind of looking at right now and then add a heap of allegations on top of that and they're in a very precarious position i'm very interested i'm going to be keeping up with the uh direction of this company now for sure
4: but there's still the legacy lives on uh there are diehard ruby fans there are diehard red versus blue fans there are diehard achievement hunter fans and this company has been there with them for their entire uh, young life into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So um, they could just kick around the same way that my dad will never stop listening to Howard Stern and follow him to the ends of the earth. There may be kind of ways that, you know, if you just grow up with a community, with a vibe, with a tone of voice, you kind of just stick with them the whole time. Hopefully you'll do that with us, WisdomTheBruiser, patreon.com. Absolutely. But uh yeah, I it's it's this was almost too big to cover in a single episode. Um, we
3: got there though. It, it's a bit of a longer one, but we got there. Thank you so much for joining us for this, the story of rooster teeth. Uh I had a great time though learning about this and learning about how uh my whole career as it, as I know it is uh, really in a, a large part thanks to these guys as much as they were also the reason for me not being able to in any way get a TV show with my sketch group as well is we did not figure out how to make viral shit on the internet like they did. Um, but yeah, fascinating.
4: An alternate, ver- an alternate reality of Murder Fist where you guys are just like, doing parody Battlefield 3 videos is not a world I want. Yeah, right?
3: But either way, uh, at least we don't have to delete too much content from our past. uh, (laughs) You should probably delete more content. But uh, thank you so much for joining us and thanks again, Nate, for the sponsored episode. Uh, We uh, would love to uh, have you guys check out more of our stuff if you want, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check us out on that. Five bucks a month, you get that sweet, sweet weekly bonus content episode. Um, Our our Wisbrew First program. And also, um, check me out, twitch.tv forward slash HoldenatorsHo. I'm streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday nights. Our Among Us streams on Tuesday nights are getting just crazy. Uh, Please join uh, if you want to check out some of that.
4: Jake! All you gotta do, besides obviously, go to the wonderful, wonderful website, patreon.com slash whizbrew, is check me out on Twitter, at bestjakeyoung. And if you're feeling crazy, check me out on Instagram, at bestjakeyoung. I'm mostly posting pictures of birds. Take it from me, Mungo Jerry. Go fuck
3: yourself. All right, please, Mungo Jerry. We don't. Ah, we, none, none of the thoughts I, and opinions of Wiz the Bruiser are reflected in Mungo Rumpel Jerry. Rumpel uh, hot takes. Um, the
4: hilarious character from Cats, <coughs> Teaser! Ugh,
3: terrible. Why did I introduce this trope? Uh, all right, everyone. Always remember, never stop bruising and keep on wizard. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Rack your look
0: for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.